Got 20 minutes? Then you have time for a Bible study. Jesus, name above all names, I worship you. Jesus, you're worthy to be praised, I worship you. Hi everybody, I'm Jordan Pine. And I'm Andy Baylog. Welcome to another episode of 20 Minute Bible Studies. Well, congratulations, Andy. We've hit a milestone. This is the 100th episode of 20 Minute Bible Studies. Yeah, it's truly an honor and a blessing, and we absolutely have to tell you we love all of our listeners. We thank you so much for every letter, for every email, for every phone call, and every prayer that you guys send out. Of course, for your financial support. Please remember, we are a 100% 501c3 nonprofit organization, and we can't do it without your help. Whatever way the Holy Spirit leads you, we need your support. And we do this, Jordan and I, because we love the Lord Jesus Christ with all of our heart, and we're excited. We're bubbling over with what we know, what God has revealed to us. And the way Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, freely you received, freely give. We want you to listen her. Those of you who are hungry, who want to know more about the Word of God, who want to know the truths in the Bible, so that you could decide for yourself by your own study and your own understanding just what is Christianity about and what are those truths. And if that's you and that's some, if you're someone that is hungry for the truth and wants to know the higher things of God and wants to go to a higher level, then you're definitely at the right place. We love you and we thank you so much for your support. I agree with all that, Andy, and uh, thank you for saying all that. Um, Okay, so let's change gears a little bit, and uh, in our old age in the ministry here, we've gotten into a little bit more uh, deeper and controversial topics. Uh, lately, we've been talking about um, a, a really controversial topic called um, punishment for believers, and uh, I think that um, everyone who's listening, I'll, I'll see what we said the last time we did an episode like this. Um, you know, there are a lot of people out there that, that don't accept the entire concept of punishment for believers. Um, and, and, and we're fine with that. You know, we just, we just ask that you listen to what we have to say. Uh, it's going to be a lot of scripture to support it. And if the worst thing that happens is you go into the Bible to prove us wrong and I put you in the Word of God, then we're good with that. You know, we're not, we're not trying to um, browbeat anybody, but we think this is a very important topic for Christians to understand. So, so this is a, uh, it's a troubling topic. And to start, you know, just to give you the basic hypothesis here, you know, just as there is a huge upside to being a faithful Christian, you know, we're talking about wondrous rewards that no eye has seen, no ear has heard of, and no human mind can even comprehend. That's 1 Corinthians 2.9. There's also a significant downside to accepting Jesus Christ and then turning your back on God. That's the main point here. I think people shy away from this topic because they confuse punishment for Christians with eternal punishment. For instance, they don't understand what we discussed in the last lesson, which is the differences between the three hells that the English language calls hell. And in the Greek, it's Gehenna, Hades, Sheol, and then the lake of fire. No, what they do is they lump them all together, not understanding that these are actually separate places for different groups at different points in time. And by the way, anyone listening who is confused by what I just said should definitely listen to our previous episode as well, and that's titled, Guilty Enough to Go to Hell, before diving into today's lesson. And if you want to find it, you could easily go to our website. It's 
M-O-T-K.org or www.20mbs.org. Okay, still with us? Do you know what we mean when we say that the lake of fire is one of three hells in the Bible and no believer can go there? Great. The next step is accepting that God's children can go to a place of punishment, Gehenna, which we talked about last time, is one of those places. Then there's this place called outer darkness. That's the one that we're going to tackle and talk about today. Join us now as we listen to the Word of God. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus said, But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, Friend, how did you come here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and throw him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. That was Matthew chapter 22, verses 11 to 14. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Okay, so this is our 100th episode. If you've been with us the entire time, long-time listener, you're going to hear this for the 100th time. We always start with the SPACE method. That's an acronym that we've created to help prepare ourselves to interpret Scripture. SPACE stands for Speaker, S-P, A, Audience, and C, Context. Repeat along at home if you already know this part, before attempting an E, Explanation. So in this case, the speaker is Jesus Christ, as uh, Steve, who so kindly reads the Scriptures for us. Uh, by the way, shout out to Steve Zeoli. He's, uh, he's a great guy. He always does our scripture readings, and he's been with us most of the time um, since my dad passed when he used to do it. So, we're Hey, ver- Steve. Thanks for everything. <laughs> we're very grateful to him. Uh, anyway, the speaker is Jesus Christ, as Steve said. The audience is the chief priests and Pharisees, according to Matthew 21.45, which immediately precedes this parable. But the audience is really the disciples, and by extension, the church at least those with the spiritual ears to hear and understand the parables. We know this because in Matthew 13, Jesus told his disciples that parables were only for those to whom it had been granted, quote, to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, end quote. That's Matthew 13, 11, by the way. And then he explains that the crowds, which included the Jewish leaders of the day, hadn't been granted that privilege. In Matthew 13, 13, He adds that this was to fulfill Isaiah's prophecy, that they, meaning Israel, would hear and not understand, and see and not perceive, because they had fallen away from God. So the audience is really us, if you get down to it at the end of the day. At least those of us with the spiritual ears to hear and the spiritual eyes to perceive, the mind to receive this gift from God. As for the context, it's the parable of the marriage feast. Andy, would you mind summarizing that parable up to this point? No problem, Jordan. It's very important to read the verses prior to this parable to better understand how and why this wedding attendee got there in the first place. I'll read them for us now. The parable of the marriage feast, chapter 22 of Matthew, verse 1. Jesus spoke to them again in parable, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king, that's God the Father, who gave a wedding feast for his son, God the Son. And he sent out his slaves. These are the people of God, chosen to do God's work. To call those, Israel, who had been invited to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling to come. Again he sent out other slaves, saying, 
Tell those who have been invited, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fattened livestock are all butchered and everything is ready. There's a type of Jesus Christ dying on the cross. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went their way. One to his own farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. Now this happened to many of the prophets of old. But the king was enraged, and he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. Now this would happen in the future about 40 years later from when Jesus actually gave this parable. Verse 8, Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main highways. Now these were people outside of Israel, even Gentiles. And as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good. Now, it's important to remember that by grace, not works, all people can receive everlasting life. Continuing, and the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. And here we see this is an allusion to a scene in heaven after the rapture. Now, continuing, This man knew about the wedding since all people were invited, and he accepted. He was most likely a Gentile, and he probably never attended a Jewish wedding before. And possibly not having been aware that there were dress code requirements, he was unprepared by not sewing his own wedding garment. So, you know, I just want to use this opportunity really quick, Jordan, to have our listeners understand here that in comparison, Christians today they need to understand their position as possibly being in the place of this attendee, this invitee, this Gentile who learned about Jesus and automatically figured, we'll just get into the wedding chamber. We'll just come to the wedding. But that's not the case. That's what Jesus wants, wanted me to know, you to know, and every Christian to know, that it's important, very important, that we learn how to create our own wedding garment. And that's what this ministry is about. Yeah, and um, I think your interpretation of being a Gentile makes a lot of sense because don't forget, these people came from the highways and the byways outside of the normal group of invitees, which in typology represents the Gentiles as opposed to Israel. Exactly. Okay, and then, so then we get to our scripture reading. Um, and, you know, now that we've considered the speaker audience and context, we're better equipped to give an explanation. Um, before we break it down, however, let's take a closer look at this phrase, outer darkness. It, it's uh, sometimes important to go and look at the original language of the Bible. By the way, this is a question I get all the time. Um, I get an email, I get it on social media. You know, what denomination are you and what version of the Bible do you read? So we always respond, and if you're thinking that right now, I'll answer that question right now. We both come from different denominations. You know, I was raised in two different denominations, and you're originally Catholic, and then converted to Protestantism, however you want to phrase that. But um, really, we're non-denominational, and we, we favor the NASB, New American Standard Bible, just because we think it's the most true interpretation of the original, but, and this is how I answer the question all the time, you know, you like the NIV, you like the KJV, it doesn't really matter because what we like to do is whenever there's a, um, a passage, we'll look at it in multiple translations and also go on blueletterbible.org, I think it is, and look at the original Greek or Hebrew and do word studies and get, we have access to the original text, friends, so... If you have any questions about anything, don't, don't love it in one particular translation. Go online, do your own research, see what the original text says, because they have great helps online these days. Absolutely. 
Okay, so in the Greek, the second word uh, in outer darkness comes from the root word skia, meaning shade or shadiness. So this more precise meaning is what we want to bring out today. When you get into the Greek, you get a much better sense of what this phrase means. Here's the explanation from Strong's, one of these helps that I was talking about. The darkness outside the limits of the lighted palace. And by lighted palace, they mean the Messiah's kingdom. And that's exactly it. It's what we want you, the listener, to understand today. The outer darkness isn't in the underworld or somewhere far away from heaven and earth. It's a place right outside the light of Christ's millennial kingdom, the thousand-year kingdom. And people who end up there are on the outside looking in. And that's consistent with how the phrase is used throughout the New Testament, right, Andy? Yeah, I agree, absolutely. The phrase outer darkness is used three times in the Bible. It only appears in the Gospel of Matthew, and it is only spoken by Christ Jesus. He uses it twice in parables about the kingdom, and then once in reference to the kingdom. Positionally, it is in a similar place to Gehenna, but in our previous episode, we showed you that Gehenna was the burning garbage dump outside of the holy city of Jerusalem. So Gehenna wasn't like right outside the wedding chamber. It was actually outside the city gate, and, you know, maybe at one point you might hear about, just to give you guys an example, you hear about a Christian who apostated and did something horrible, reportable, and you're like, oh man, that guy's garbage, you know? And, And you have to think about it. You would have to assume that someone like that, in a spiritual sense, once they're judged, will end up in Gehenna, which is where they got rid of the garbage, you know? So here, it's a little different, you know? Positionally, this is a little different because it's, it's the comparison is not the city of Jerusalem. The comparison here is the secret bridal chamber, right? Or where the, the wedding feast is, where Jesus is going to be with his bride, and there's going to be, you know, a, an amazing uh, invitee list of wedding guests. So someone who's trying to get in or got in, and then when the king walks around to introduce himself and thank everyone for coming, and he sees somebody saying, hey, didn't you get the memo? Didn't you see the invitation card? This is a black tie tuxedo affair. And you can't come in here with, you know, with construction boots and, and denim and jeans. So that's, if you could, you know, kind of imagine that, that's kind of what's going on. But when they get thrown out, it's outside the kingdom still. It's just outside of the wedding chamber of the kingdom, but it's still outside the kingdom outer darkness, correct? Yeah. So I guess you could say that the lighted palace. That's yes. Yes. The opportunity to actually feast and then possibly be joint heirs with Christ. Right. Is, is at this point, it's lost. Right. It was forfeited because what, we're, what we will learn today is that that wedding garment is actually based on our works, our good spiritual works led by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and you know, I think it's important with these metaphors to try to get inside the head of the listener of that day, which is why we use the space method and other methods. But, you know, the, this city, the city of Jerusalem, the holy city, was a walled city, right? So basically, if you could imagine just in your mind's eye, you know, the, the Gehenna portion, the burning garbage heap, you know, that might have been, like you said, a little bit of a walking distance away where they threw all their trash. And that's one metaphor Jesus used. In this case, outside the lighted palace, is it maybe if you got thrown outside of a different part of the walled city, which is right by where the wedding chamber part was, you're still outside in the darkness outside the lighted palace. You're just not in the burning garbage heap section, maybe. Yeah, you're not in a spotlight. You're kind of, you're watching, like if you can imagine a concert hall. You know, instead of being on the stage and performing, you're actually told to please get off the stage and you can take a seat, even in the front row. You just can't participate 
on stage and and receive in part of the glory that G- that includes Jesus Christ. Okay, so um, we don't need to re- reiterate the Gehenna again. I had some notes here about that, Andy, but we talked about that in our last episode, and I highly encourage um, you know all of our listeners, if you haven't heard that episode, to go there and check it out. 20mbs.org has an archive of all 100 of our episodes, including, I think it's 127 of, a, of the previous show that we did called Mysteries of the Kingdom. So there's a lot of material there if you guys want to study this further. But getting into our scripture reading and, uh, and examining the other places that this phrase, outer darkness, appears, we see at the end of the, this parable of the marriage feast that uh, there's an invited guest who accepts the invitation but shows up without wedding clothes. And I, I love your analogy of jeans and boots when it's a black tie affair. Um, you know, for the disciples, those with the spiritual ears, they understood what this meant, that the man responded to the call, so he represents a person who's saved. However, that's all he did. He did no works on top of that. He did not prepare. He was supposed to make his wedding garment, you know, to clothe himself with righteousness and Bible language, and he didn't do that. To support that, Jordan, if you go to Revelation chapter 19, if you read verses 7 and 8, it says, let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Verse 8, it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. There you have works. And there's also another reference in Proverbs 31. Yeah, so this man had no works to show for himself, and he was speechless. And what does it say that happened to him? He was bound hand and foot representing that his time for doing works was over. He could no longer use his hands and his feet to earn anything. The time is up. And, um, you know, and so in this parable, the man is cast outside of the lighted palace, as Strong's put it, into the darkness outside the light, the skatas, which, you know, that place, Jesus says, is one of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Notice this is not the behavior of an unsaved person, though. Unsaved people don't have regrets. They don't weep from their sense of loss. Revelation 16.11 says the unsaved curse God when judgment arrives and do not repent. But the saved who lose their inheritance, who lose the opportunity in this metaphor to be in the wondrous wedding feast that they were invited to, who realize they squandered that rare and precious opportunity, they weep and gnash their teeth. And then finally, Jesus ends the parable with a very important phrase, Andy. He says, many are called, but few are chosen. What does that mean? Yeah, Jordan, in a simple paraphrase, many will be saved, but few will be chosen out of the saved to serve Christ on a higher level during his millennial kingdom. In the Greek, it's the words kaleo and ekaletos. Imagine an archer's target. Hitting any ring with an arrow would qualify as called. Hitting the inner rings would be to qualify for chosen. And the bullseye is for another discussion. Now, the average person reading that verse will say that they thought it just meant Many people will be called to accept Jesus as their Savior, but few are chosen to actually be saved. On the contrary, Romans 11.29 says, The gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. Remember, God is sovereign, and he doesn't make mistakes. If he called you, that means you were picked by him to believe, and you are saved forever. On the same token, if he chose you for a higher calling, then you are in a smaller company and hungry to know and love him even more. Okay, now let's quickly note the other two places where Jesus mentions outer darkness. One is earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 8. What happens is that a Gentile military commander, a centurion, meaning he commanded a company of 100, as in century, asked Jesus to heal his servant who had been paralyzed. 
Jesus Christ agrees and says he will go and heal him. But the centurion says, I am not worthy for you to come into my house. Besides, I understand authority, and I believe you are of such high authority, Jesus, that you can simply command it from here, and it'll be done. This causes Jesus to be amazed, to marvel, saying, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. He does as the centurion asks, healing his servant from afar. And this is what Jesus says in Matthew 8, 11 to 12. I say to you that many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast into the outer darkness in that place that will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So this is a prophecy of Israel, particularly its leaders, rejecting its Messiah and the Gentiles being adopted or grafted into Israel and its promises. But we want you to notice the fate of the sons of the kingdom. Like the man without a wedding garment, they are cast into the darkness outside the lighted palace of the kingdom of heaven. The third and final place where Jesus speaks of outer darkness is in Matthew 25, and it's the parable of the talents. Now, we don't have time to summarize the whole parable here, but we do have a 20-minute Bible study on that topic for anyone who is interested. You can go to the website. The lesson is called Minas and Talents, and you can find it in the podcast archive or visit the website 20mbs.org. Briefly, the parable speaks of a wicked and lazy slave who does nothing with the talent he has given by his master. Now, keep in mind, a talent is a unit of money. He doesn't make it multiply like his fellow slaves. No, he, he doesn't even put it in a bank so it can gain interest. But instead, he buries it, hiding it away, and then nothing comes of it. Because this person is a slave of the master, he represents a saved person, since the unsaved are not slaves. Paul called himself a slave to Christ, etc. Remember that. Now, the talent represents the potential God gives every saved person. Christ saved us for a purpose, and that purpose is to do good works, to bear much fruit, and to fulfill our godly purpose. Burying the talent represents doing nothing with that potential. Anyway, when the lazy slave is judged, he receives no reward. In fact, what he was originally given is taken away and given to the most productive slave. And then Matthew 25, 30 tells us the final part of this judgment. The master says, throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, this is the darkness outside of the Messiah's millennial kingdom, because as Matthew 25, 14 states it, this parable is about the kingdom of heaven. It's basically the shade. Yes, it's the shade, which is the sense of that Greek word, right? So you've seen in all cases as a loss, and I want to just point that out. I won't get too much into it. We're almost out of time. But there's always a sense of loss, loss of your inheritance, loss of Israel's inheritance, loss of what you were given and trusted with by a master. It's always about loss. But not to be confused with loss of salvation. Right, because you can't lose your salvation. We'll say it again. Okay, so that's all three mentions of the outer darkness. Of the three, the parables of the wedding feast and the parable of the talents are the clearest in speaking to believers today, so please go and take your time and read through those parables again. It seems Gehenna and the earliest mention of the outer darkness was mostly targeted toward the wicked Jewish leaders, very important, who had used their positions of authority for their own gain and to lead the sheep of Israel astray. But the two parables could apply to any saved person because we are all invited guests and slaves, or servants is a better word, of our master, Jesus Christ. We should all have a healthy fear of God's judgment, especially pastors and teachers who today are in the same position as those Jewish leaders were. If we lead the flock astray or act like the world, or even just fold our arms like that one servant did 
and wait for the rapture to come, burying our talent on the ground, we risk spending a thousand years outside of the lighted palace. That's what we wanted you to understand, and that is our lesson. Thanks for joining us for another 20-minute Bible study. Special thanks to the family of Pastor Gary T. Whipple and to the Abundant Life Worship Center for the music for our show. I'm Steve Zioli. Until next time, may the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Mysteries of the Kingdom, Incorporated.